often staying longer is exactly what you need because then the solution comes. And if you don't have a superpower person within that helps you say, oh, no, I know it's in here somewhere. Welcome back to the Max Out Show, where today I'm honored and excited to be joined by Bridget Dangle Gaspard, founder of the New York Voice Dialogue Institute and author of The Final Eighth. We'll dive deep today into inner selves, fear of success, and overcoming self-sabotage. So Bridget, welcome to the show. Thank you, Max. I'm thrilled to be here, truly. Now, I'm super excited. This was probably the best free interview chat I've, I've ever had on the show with oh. over a hundred interviews at this point. And so I'm super excited to dive really deep into the stuff. And the first thing that I want to talk about, because it's really a fundamentally game changing idea is this concept of multiple inner selves. Because when most people think about, you know, multiple personalities, we're usually thinking about mental disorder, but can you tell us why is it actually that all of us, Healthy human beings also have these multiple inner selves and sub-personalities. Yeah, so it's true, and it's actually not accurate. A healthy personality consists of many alter ego sub-personalities, personas, inner selves. We use those interchangeably. And so I stumbled upon this technique called voice dialogue, which bases itself on the, this fact that you want to dialogue with different parts of yourself. And so the doctors Hal and Sidra Stone created this technique because they realized that every single part of us has wisdom and that it's a gift and a sting. And so if you just try to like um, override different parts of yourself, it's not healthy. It's actually unhealthy to not have access to your different selves. And more and more research is proving that to be true. So... This, I hunted down the doctors, Hal and Tidger Stone, when I just heard about this voice dialogue technique tens and tens of years ago. And by hunting them down in those days, it was the 1-800 number. I called them on their 1-800 number. And I was lucky enough that they became my mentors. And so it's something we do automatically. Oh, the part of me that's brave or like on Valentine's Day. Oh, my inner flirt got to come out or my lover or my romantic one. But like, how come... It's only one day a year that we can have access to our romantic cells, for example. And so it's really empowering. And yes, there is this mental illness, which is unfortunately trauma-based, called disassociative identity disorder. And that's where the idea is that you're fractured. And why it's a disorder is because when it happens, you don't know you're going to other selves. And that's why it's a problem. The idea is with voice dialogue, with just healthy personality, it's like, oh, my inner introvert came over and I said no to that uh, uh, party invitation. My pre-COVID self wanted party invitations. And so if you're in touch with your introvert, there's nothing wrong with that. If you constantly have to go to parties, and, and don't pay attention to your introvert, you can start to feel very exhausted. Your introvert might be just the gift that you need, but you get to make the choice when you realize, oh, I have an extrovert and an introvert. And an extrovert might take over the conversation and not be a very good listener. So the extrovert might help you make a lot of business contacts that are wonderful, but maybe the good listener self says, 
you know, back up a little extrovert. I want to really hear what this person says. And you, and you get to become a dancer in a way, calling in the different parts of yourself that have the precise superpower you need in the moment you need it, which includes doing something, but it could also include, I'm not going to do a thing. And both have wisdom, depending on the circumstances. Yeah, so the, the beautiful thing about all of this is that each and every one of us are already using this in our lives. So for our listeners, this is not just something that you need to suddenly somehow start to find on the outside world or whatever, create new. It's already something that you've been using throughout your entire life. The challenge is that most of the times we're not even aware. And so we make choices without actually becoming aware of what's actually going on. Right? There's this, this great quote by Carl Jung who said that until you make the subconscious conscious, you'll call it fate and it'll direct your life. And, and that's really the, the challenge to all of us, right? Absolutely. You know, a favorite example of mine, and I'm sure you'll play with me, Max, is when the alarm clock goes off at 5.30 in the morning and wakes you from a delicious sound sleep, you can feel the different parts of yourself responding. So... What are some selves in you? And this is before you've even moved. So you can feel yourself and it doesn't have to express itself. It's still a part of you. So for me, I might have an angry self that's like, no, I don't want to wake up. You know, turn off that alarm. How about you? What are some selves that uh, basically respond when that alarm wakes you up? Oh, yeah, sure thing. So there's, I guess, the, the sort of exhausted self, right? It's like, oh, my God, I... <laughs> Uh, at least six hours of sleep, right? And like, I need some more, right? Like my brain is sparking and everything, right? That's the one, yes. one thing. Then there's the, the go-getter self that's like, hey, no, I've got to get up. I've got to, you know, get the day going, right? There's sort of the, the compassionate self that's like, well, maybe I'll, I'll just take it slow for the first 10 minutes, oh, right? So there's all these different different voices, right? And I think just this yeah, realization that we have them is so beautiful. Exactly. Sorry to interrupt, but the other thing for also for people who are going to watch this, not just listen, even as you described it, Max, you could see in your body the different energies of the selves. And that's the other fun thing about this journey, which I recommend every listener do start to pay attention to where with yourself, but also with people in your life. Like when someone's kind of reserved or angry it lives somewhere in your body. And you even said a brain fog. That could be a part like, like the, is in the brain. Like I can't, my brain's not going to work yet. And so it's just being conscious. Also, it could be an uh, inner diplomat. Let's just hit the snooze button. All kinds of cells. So I'm just agreeing with you that this is natural. 100% natural. And most people, when you talk about the alarm, they're like, Oh, I get that because yeah, every single morning sometimes, like seven of us respond to that noise. Yeah, I mean, this is so vitally important, right? Because it, it makes the decisions for us in our lives, right? And how we sort of handle the whole diplomacy between these different selves, right? Is literally the decision making in our lives, right? Because every one of us has the one side that's like, yeah, go, go, go. And then the other side that's like, no, no, no. And what might happen, <laughs> right? It's literally like, there's, I mean, there literally are different parts of the brain, right? Different brain path. They're sort of fighting each other, fighting for who's who's going to win out and be the strongest, basically, that's going to make you, you know, do a certain thing or not do a certain thing. And, and so that's yeah. so beautiful. It's competing agendas. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're like the competing agendas are all healthy. You know, we should get more sleep. We don't have enough sleep. But 
um, we promised our child we would go do this and I want to be a good parent. Like neither side is wrong it, often. And so then you, the more awareness you have, like you said, then you can make the best decision in the moment given the situation. And that's the other reason I like the final eighth process and the voice dialogue work. It deals with life's on life's terms. You know, it's not, again, it happens inside, but it's not, fil, fil, uh, it can be philosophical, but it's not theoretical. And, and also the idea is the go, go, go selves often get you so far and, and in terms of the final eighth, which is how I wrote about the voice dialogue process, was when people get stuck in sight of the finish line. And so it doesn't make sense. And that's where I realized you have all these go, go, go selves, the selves that are visionary, responsible, excited, um, whatever it is, you've got lots of selves who have permission on the inside to go so far. But then when you get close, often then suddenly it's like from these secret hidden selves come up and block you and you don't know why you're stuck you literally think you want this goal with every fiber of your being but what you find out is that not all of you wants the goal and here's the next step for very good reason a lot of time coaches are like well let's just double down on what you're already doing and and then uh insult these parts well that's just the lazy part of you or uh some other insulting words or, i guess you don't really want it the one that is a sabotager and what voice dialogue says is like let's dialogue with these selves let's learn what's really going on and so often you think the problem is something else. And what these selves have is the wisdom, like you were saying about Carl Jung. In here, in the unconsciousness, is the what's the really going on. It's the underground, conscious, unconscious becoming conscious. And then you have more actual choice. And that's what's so exciting. And because most of the time, people are wonderfully persevering. They don't need to work harder. That's not the problem nor the solution. Yeah, I mean, that's such a powerful insight that, that oftentimes it's not the good parts actually that are holding us back and it's not the lack of sort of the, yeah, I mean, quote unquote, good parts really, right? The, right. The persevering one, the inspired one, the go-getter one, the visionary. But oftentimes it's really those hidden parts of ourselves that say, I'm afraid. What if I yes. succeeded this? What if I take yes. the next step and, and I put myself on the line and I still get beaten up? Like that, those are oftentimes the parts that in the end really keep us from, from really taking a last step over the line. And I really want to dive deeper into this whole idea of the final eight and, and exactly what that is and how people can sort of work with that. But for now, I'm really fascinated by, you know, just finding, you know, our inner selves. How do people, you know, they're listening to this for the first time, maybe ever they're actually thinking about these multiple, you know, alter egos and sub-personalities. How can people even figure out um, how, what's, what sort of actually going Who am on I now? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> anyway, this one or this one or 20 different ones combined. Yes, it's, I love that question. And in my book, I have one of my favorite exercises, again, which people can do right away. <clears throat> you start what I call an inner selfie report. So just like we label the selves in relation to the alarm clock waking you up, you literally through your, what I like to say is your work day, whatever that is, and your non-work day. Because often different parts of you are prominent depending on your day. And you just label them. You could um, put them in audio on the phone, just something quick so that you actually do it. And you notice yourselves. And remember, you can notice a self that doesn't express itself. So let's say you're angry and you feel an angry self. 
And what you feel like, you feel like telling off your boss, but you don't because another self says that's not the best move. And that self could be, well, I don't know, if it were you, what would you name the self that says, not, 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 I feel your anger, but you can't say anything to your boss. We would say that's a self, a protecting self. But it could be a diplomat. It could be someone who holds your higher goal, like pick your battles. That self might say, nope, this is not the battle to pick. So, so, but still, when you, when you do your inner selfie report, you're like the battle picker, the protector, the angry one, the hard worker, maybe the nice person. A lot of us have very nice selves, but you can only go so far being nice. Sometimes why you're stuck is because you've got to strengthen selves that are like rule makers, boundary holders, and assertive selves. And so it's not like you're bad. And so the, your nice self says, no, let's just be nicer. That's the that's your key to success. But every self has their own key to success. And being nice all the time is definitely not the key to success. Would you agree with that? Yes. You're going to say yes when you mean no. And you're going to say no when you mean yes if you're nice all the time. Is niceness good sometimes? 100% yes. So that's where you also learn about other parts of yourself and how to start is list. Also, you can list what you see in other people like, oh, wow, my um, partner is, is the one that is really good at finance, the financier or the, the uh, disciplined one. So that's another way. If you're not sure where yourself, you can write down selves that you see in others and they don't have to agree with you it's for you to uh, look to get to train your eye and like i said earlier a great fun one is to watch people's bodies because someone could be like laid back and it shows and again you don't have to work hard or study in ourselves it's like oh yeah i love being with my friend because she's so laid back i feel more laid back when i'm with her and so that's another fun exercise or watch someone when they're forward and they're like this, you know, oh, that's someone who's excited. That's the excited self. So that's another way in is to literally watch and feel the energies of your different people as well as yourself. And that's fun. The different people in your life is what I meant, as well as the different people, I guess, inside of you. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much great stuff that I want to dive right in. Um, and as you can probably see from my body language, I'm sort of in a excited, like just <laughs> yeah, having fun in the flow thing right now. Um, and and what I also had to to realize really is that I mean, it's it's the most fun sort of aspect and sub personality of me. But I realized that sometimes it's like I'm steamrolling over people, right? Like I'm just going on with so much energy and they're like, watch, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so, so <laughs> what self was that? Really, what self was that? Exactly. That was really that, that sort of chill out a little bit and <laughs> take it easy and relax a little bit. And so I realized I have to strengthen that part of me also, um, not just for myself, but also for social interactions. So people don't just like sort of run away from me really. Um, and, and you mentioned something really beautiful, which is that, first of all, we can train these things, first of all, yes. through getting awareness and then also through actively, you know, doing it over and over and over again, right? So the more often you bring out that, you know, whatever part it is in you, right, that relaxed self or maybe the self that isn't always, you know, nice and, and acts like a pushover, right? The more often we bring out these things, the stronger we can literally make the neural networks in our brain and thereby actually get better. 
absolutely. And brain imaging is showing that we actually think of ourselves in different personalities. So they've done some studies where if they say like, well, think of your spiritual self. The spiritual self might light up in different parts of the brain and then different, think of a different, like the inner critic. That lights up in different parts of your brain. So the idea is different parts of ourselves literally have access to different strengths and different ways of thinking. And this has been known for decades. Like my mentors, the doctors, Hal and Sidra Stone. And by the way, Hal Stone, who has recently passed at age 93, met Jung himself. Wow, we have yeah. one degree of separation now, you and me, Max. <laughs> I'm getting he closer said, to Jung, yeah. <laughs> yes. One degree to, because he was a young man. He was a, got his PhD in psych, in psychology, Hal Stone did. And he, ha, he went to Vienna and met Jung, who was by that time an old man, and, and had a session just to meet him. They didn't do therapy. And I just love that. And so the other thing about certain selves have names that we might have negative feelings about. So I'm not, I don't actually remember if Hal said, it, if he used this word, but he had the hubris of a young man. That's how I think he put it. Well, we might think hubris is bad. All hubris all the time is bad, but a little hubris gives you the nerve to call up Jung and make an appointment. And I want to encourage people to also get in touch with the hubris parts. And then it's like a detox. If you have negative opinions about words like hubris and know-it-all, that's okay. But maybe a know-it-all self does know a thing or two, but you have to be aware that it doesn't come from a superior point of view. And so it helps you again, have more access and then you can put a more delicate touch or when you have to be adamant when like people who are laid back and can't get in touch with their excited self, like you have such easy access to your excited self, they need to work on their excited self. Like dare to expose your excitement would be something that they might work on while you're working on, no, no, I gotta work on, and I have, I'm like you, I have to work on my laid back self, so I sometimes can feel my excited self wanting to come out, and it's like, no, no, I gotta practice relaxed, because both have gifts. Yes, and so, so the, the beautiful thing I'm hearing out of this is, is also this idea that it's usually the stuff that we don't usually bring out into our lives that we most need to work on. Meets yes. the, the shy person that probably has to work on, you know, becoming a little bit more extroverted or exactly. it's, it's the person that's always being kind and pushover that has these limiting beliefs that that's how they should be. And that's how life should be. That would probably benefit most from trying, you know, not to be a pushover for once. Right. And so it's really in looking at these weaknesses that, that we actually find our errors of growth. Exactly. And so you brought up the final eighth, which is, really failing in sight of victory, right? You get seven eighths of the way there. And that's why I started to notice it came up whole when I was working with clients. I'm like, this is a final eighth issue because I was puzzled too. How come they got seven eighths of the way there? I didn't understand it. I knew they were working hard. And one of the gifts of being stuck, this is another exercise. What are five gifts about being stuck? You can put about anything, about envy, about uh, vulnerability and you learn there really are five gifts and we say five because usually it's easy to come up with three having to come up with number four and five really gets you deeper so a lot of times one of the gifts about stuckness 
is you get so focused on being stuck, you don't actually go explore the other parts of yourself that really take vulnerability. So for a shy person to really have to start to explore their extrovert, that's very hard. Now, it becomes easier. And so sometimes staying stuck, and a lot of people stay stuck for years, it's actually camouflage. It, they're so busy on being stuck, and then that becomes a problem, but they don't shift their thinking because it's easier, because it's familiar to be stuck than to actually say, oh, from a nice girl point of view, and I have a nice girl, I gotta get, I have to have access now to my angry self to be able to show my anger. And that's harder than the pattern of being stuck. So it takes courage to go to those other selves. And like you said, or the extrovert that has to learn, let other people go first see what else is happening. You're going to get so much more out of life when you get to see the other side. But you have to feel your vulnerability to be a beginner. I tell my clients, where are your beginner selves that tolerate the distress of not being good at something? You have to get good at not being good at something if you're going to grow. Yes, absolutely. I love this white belt mentality and really accepting Ooh. that. In the beginning, we're, we're all starting out, right? We're going to suck, and it's going to be uncomfortable and hard and scary and all of that, right? But that's that's a part of learning and growth. And and just to, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I was reading some really fascinating research talking actually about exactly that. So they were looking there at introverts, and basically researchers, you know, asked these introverts to act like act extroverts for a week. I mean, to okay. act, you know, just go out and, you know, talk to people and, you know, socialize and do all the stuff that extroverts would do. And what they found is that after that week, those introverts were actually happier for having sort of engaged in their weakness. And I found that so fascinating because it really allowed them to, to basically bring more of themselves into the world. And therefore, they actually enjoyed their lives more, even if it was uncomfortable in the beginning, even if they, you know, started out as beginners. Oh, I love this. I love this. And maybe that's um, because it just feels good to have access to more of who you are. They, you're not, we're not putting down introverts. It just can't be the whole picture, just like opposite. If it's only extroversion all the time, you won't have introspection. You won't learn. You won't pick up clues that other people are tired and want to, you know, shift because you'll be so excited and extroverted. Yeah, for sure. So, so you mentioned a seven eight process. How do people, you know, realize this in the first place? How do you actually know if you're, you know, you're stuck in this, at this point, you've been, you know, going really well, right? You've been persevering, you've been motivated, inspired, and now you're stuck. How do you, how do you realize that in that moment that, hey, maybe now it's, it's actually time to really shift gears here? I have a whole uh, chapter based on that, including potentially letting go of the goal. Maybe you're stuck because it's not your goal anymore. And that's hard, but I have a whole chapter that says, um, check it out because maybe it's um, outgrown. You don't want it. So some, so part of it is being stuck and with the final eight that it's a mystery. In other words, let's say you're stuck um, because suddenly you uh, have gotten a diagnosis that you get migraines. Well, if you're probably not really stuck. You just have to deal with this first. So sometimes people use the word stuck wrong. They might have they might have to deal with something they prefer not to, which totally makes sense. So one is to like look at what the stuckness really is. But if it's a mystery, I don't know why I'm stuck. 
That's the final eighth stuckness. And so one of the things is over time. In other words, I always say most of us have worked hard. A lot of us have already done a lot of personal growth. All of those tools are welcome in the final eighth process. So let's say you've used all your skills. You've gotten as far as you can. And so usually it's like, I've been using my usual skills and I'm it's not working. And that's the final eighth stuckness. Now, it could be a mystery, like I really don't know why, or you might know why. It's fear. Like, let's say you're stuck in your business because now it's the wall of technological learning. You, you can't scale up without figuring out technologically what new things you have to do. And let's say you're just terrified of that. That's a fear that's uh, absolutely genuine. And we would break that down. You have fear selves, but then what selves are within that? And it's not about beating down your fear. It's about honoring you, your fear. You brought up compassion for yourself with the um, alarm clock. Compassion. So, okay. What, so the fear of maybe feeling, I love that, the white belt mentality. Maybe you have a part of you that thinks that if you let people see you as a beginner, that means you're weak and they'll take advantage of you. Well, once you find out that that part of you feels that way, you can go, oh, okay, that actually might have been true when I was a kid, but it's not true anymore. And I can protect myself. The other thing is, what do you, like, and we talk about Bridget is here, but when the cells, when you're dialoguing with the cells, they're in the third person. Uh, you talk to yourself, sorry, in the third person. So if you, if you talk to your inner critic, your inner critic could refer to Bridget. So your inner critic talks from the I, and my book helps people through this. And you learn the gifts and stings of even the inner critic. And so that's how you know when your usual methods of success don't work anymore then this is a brand new way to approach it and it turns things upside down and we love our skills we're like if you're good at math we don't want you to lose that but maybe being good at math is not the problem here maybe you need to get better at networking and often that's where people really get scared because introverts have to become uh, not forever extroverts, but just access to the extroversion, that kind of thing. And so we don't beat down fear like just go, you know, just double down. I'll say try it. I mean, if doubling down helps, go for it. Like I'm, I'm for doing what works. But when it stops working, that's when it's a final eighth stuckness. And then we don't double down. We say fear, come sit down, talk to me. What's up? What are you scared of? And guess what? This happened to me with a client. I'd worked with her for years. She had moved up in the uh, entertainment field as a performer. And she wasn't connected, meaning everything she got, she worked for. And she was very good. And she got the bigger parts. Earlier today in our interview, you said fear of success. That's exactly right. Suddenly, she was messing up these auditions. She had worked really hard to get. And she was a union actor by now, bigger parts in very important theaters in New York. New York City. So um, we went to this resistor self, right? So this, and we talked to the resistor self. We don't try to resist the resistor self. We're like, okay. So I expected, you know, sometimes you think of a resistor self, just no. I expected that kind of self. That's the other thing about this method. It pops up things you never, ever dreamed of. So instead of this energy, for those, I guess, that are listening, it's like a, a just a very tight, kind of toddler four-year-old no no energy instead this was the resistor self she was willowy and she came in like this and whispered and she said my client will have a drinking problem if she continues i was like 
wow, that had never come up. And so when we went back to center, because that's the idea that on that it's healthy because we can access all these parts. It's like I become the conductor of my own orchestra. My client started weeping because it was true. And I'm like, well, then what happened was we were focusing on the wrong thing. That self wasn't saying my client was an alcoholic. She wasn't. But she didn't have enough boundary making skills. And as she got up in the world, the entertainment business is so social. You must network. I mean, that's how people get to know each other and deals are made. And so this self said, if she's going to all these social networking things, then she'll be drinking too much because she'll be nervous. She'll be socially anxious. She'll be tired. And so then our whole work shifted on how to strengthen the selves that one, say no more than two drinks in an evening, just period. If, and perhaps no, no drinking on a particular night and also how to say, no, I have to go now and that kind of thing. And then our whole focus was on building selves that were stronger about being very good at boundaries in a, in an elegant way, not like, uh, you know, sometimes you have to be forceful like a rebel, but this was more elegant. And so then she started to move up. And the problem wasn't um, just some like irrational fear. It was a very, very rational fear. And we get to find that out. Wow. Yeah, I, I absolutely love this story so much because it really shows that oftentimes it's these hidden parts of ourselves that we aren't willing to face that then actually stop us and prevent us from, from really moving forward in our lives. And there's this great quote by Leonardo DiCaprio that I love, which is every next level of your life demands a better version of you. Oh, that's perfect. That's really what you're talking about here, isn't it? That there's a different version of you that's sleeping somewhere inside of you probably that is necessary in order for you to get to the next level. Maybe you need to you know, really up-level it. Maybe you really need to tone it down. But there's something right. inside of you that you need to become aware of that's stopping you from really getting to the next level. And that process of really you know, becoming aware of that and then learning how to talk to these different parts of ourselves is really that process of, of moving ahead. And so you mentioned this idea of, of really you know, first person and third person before. So why is it that we should be talking to these, these different selves of really insert person? Also, if you don't know the research, because I know you, you have an inner researcher, um, I'll, I'll, and I, we can maybe add it to the show notes. Um, one of the reasons they are literally finding, once again, in brain imaging and psychological uh, testing and research, that when you speak from the, the third person versus the I, the third person is like he or Bridget, that the third person takes place in the frontal cortex of the brain, our decision making. The I is much closer to our amygdala, the, our emotional center. So the idea now is Voice dialogue has worked this way from the beginning, and I'll say a little more about that. But research is showing that when you have fear, for example, and little four-year-olds do this naturally, they'll talk to themselves in the third person. And that's because two things they, they, they surmise. One, it gets you away from your emotional center so you can calm down. You're not so scared. And also move into the part of the brain that's designed to make decisions. So little four-year-olds, you could hear them, and they've done studies if like they give the, a four-year-old like a, a puzzle piece that's hard to do. Not so hard they can't do it, but takes concentration. They'll hear the little ones say, okay, 
Now, Peter, put the, find the yellow one and then see if it goes with the purple one. There's something, again, everything we're doing is based on our natural smart impulses. So that's one of the reasons that the third person helps you get a little space and removal so you can have an awareness that is not just from the eye. I can only have awareness from Bridget. But if I embody like a part of me that the higher wisdom, which we do through meditation in different ways, then I can see more of my world, which includes me, includes you. And so the book spells out very specifically how to do the third person and the first person. And, and I just love, and it works because you just, again, physiologically understand that you're more than you think you are. But now research is showing that that is exactly right. And also, Max, just so you know, every third Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, New York City time, Eastern time, we have a free virtual voice dialogue learning lab. And we do voice dialogue. Anyone can come anytime, including you. So definitely, that's another way people can say, well, okay, I think I get it, but I don't really get it. Come on a third Thursday. Every month we have them at 8 p.m. And we'll show you. And then you can actually learn as you watch because I, I invite people to say, okay, we're going to go to a couple selves of a person, but see what selves are like that, see what selves aren't, and they all are selves you have. Your version, my rational self might operate very differently than your rational self, but we both have rational selves. Yeah, you know, I love that so much. I'll, I'll definitely link that be below the show notes. Um, and since you were mentioning research before, especially in little kids and puzzles, there's also some fascinating research that you might have seen already or otherwise you're gonna find totally fascinating. Which is, again, you know, researchers taking these four or five-year-old little kids, right, and putting them in a lab and giving them a puzzle. But this time, the puzzle is impossible to solve. Oh, So okay. essentially, they want to test how long is that kid willing to just keep enduring? How much grit does it essentially have to just keep pushing? And so they put them in different costumes then. So one, one kid, you know, the, the, the boys get the, you know, the Batman costume, the girls adore the Explorer, and these different really, you know, adventure Type heroes, and what they found is that actually, when they when you know, when a kid puts on the the Batman or Dora Explorer costume, they will actually talk to themselves differently. They'll stand in front of the puzzle. They say, "Batman never gives up. Dora the Explorer, she always keeps going," and it lasts a lot longer. They stay, you know, with the puzzle that's impossible a lot longer than the kids that just regularly walk there, and that's just. Another way to show that, you know, when we take on these different personalities, when all of a sudden I'm Batman, the Batman never goes up. Well, then if I start talking to myself saying, Batman, he keeps going and going. I find a part of myself that wasn't there before that I hadn't access to before that allows me to really stick with my goals, even if they become challenging. I don't know this research and yes, I want you to give it to me because this is exactly part of what I do. In fact, I am having finishing up my four week masterclass in the final eighth and I have another one coming in May for anyone who's interested. But the, the finale, I invite people to come dressed as one of their empowered alter egos, which could be a literal superhero. And that's what we're gonna do next Saturday when we meet. <laughs> And I tell them in advance so that they can really think about it. So, but I didn't know there was research because I know it's a fact, like just because I know it works. But I love this because, and, and I'm a former performer, 
So I know from acting that depending, you know, they, they make a joke, are you an actor from the inside out or the outside in? And I used to say both, but an outside in actor, like let's say I had to play a femme fatale, I put on my stiletto heels and maybe something tight and which would change how I walk. We were talking earlier about German hips and Brazilian <laughs> hips. And so then, of course, with my little slim skirt and high heels, I can't help but walk differently. And for me, that just energized my femme fatale. So capes don't have to be literal capes for adults, although they could be. And you don't have to just do it one day, Halloween. Like we get one day for romance, one day for capes. Voice dialogue in the final eighth process invites you, you make your day whatever you want. But it's so empowering because some of the some of as you know, as a coach, especially max out, you've got it will be hard, and you've got to to figure out how to stay with it longer. And that's beautiful because unlike this experiment, which it was built in, it couldn't be solved. Often staying longer is exactly what you need because then the solution comes. And if you don't have a superpower person within that helps you say, oh, no, I know it's in here somewhere. And give yourself that discomfort because can I throw in a wow, congratulations to you for your becoming a world record holder for a half marathon <laughs> in bare feet. I mean, I'd love to hear some of the cells that helped you do that. I'm in awe of those parts of you and congrats. But how, but you know about this. Tell us some of your superheroes because you obviously can have a challenge and then succeed at your challenge. Well, thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah, so the, the big um, go-getter, persistent, going into the pain, alter mm. ego for me, I call it Vigot, which sort of Ooh. strips away all the, I guess, childish, you know, sides, all the, hey, playful, giving up sides, and it goes straight into the pain. So that's the part of me that I access when I'm in the middle of a race, I'm suffering, I'm, I'm just, you know, all, every fiber of my body is, is, is except for that one maybe as you said right. so well it's, it's creating me to, to just finally quit right and when i jump into ice cold water somewhere you know go outside shirtless it's it's these moments when i sit down and i just don't want to study because my brain is full of fog and i force myself to get going that's sort of that self inside of me and i deliberately created you know created it and named it and access it anytime that i actually need to create and use this mental strength because I know it's necessary for me to achieve my goals. Um, and so on the other side, we have sort of this, this childish side of me that we talked about all the way in the beginning, right? Which is the sort of playful side. It's the one that made me sort of commit to the challenge in the first place, which is like, right. I really just want to see how, you know, how much I can do this, right? It's <laughs> one thing, right? And so, so it's in balancing these two things, of course, with the, the self that's like, oh, my God, pain, ah, no, 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 right? <laughs> so it's really learning to, to play with these and see which one do I need at, at which point. Um, and I, I absolutely love what you were saying before about the environment, you know, yes. the outside stuff influencing us because clothes, I think, are huge and powerful way to, you know, just dressing up a little bit nicer, right? It makes you feel good. When you're yes. walking on stage, right, or you're just going for a date, right, you don't want to look like a homeless bum, right? Like you want to like actually dress up and look good, right? So you feel good. 
Um, yeah. Can I ask you a couple of questions about what? How do you, how do you spell the name of your superhero? I wasn't sure I heard right. Oh, it's it's my simply my last name. <laughs> it's it's. My oh. Name. Okay. Yeah. Um. Got it. Well, so I just want to highlight that what you did was cultivate the self, and everyone can do a version of that. They can't all be world record holders, but I love that. And and naming it does help. And when you need to call upon it, cultivating it helps also because you challenge yourself and then you do use that part. That part literally gets stronger. So that's, I just wanted to honor that you can make, you cultivate these parts you, that you either don't have, because some of us don't have certain parts. That doesn't mean you can't get them. And then you, you challenge them. The other thing you want to do, said that I want to point out, I call it the relay race, the playful part of you that said, Hmm, what barefoot half marathons. Yeah, let's just do that. Well, you need that part, but then sometimes it's like a relay race. You have to give the next sections of your development to other parts and then maybe to the higher achievement goes to other parts. So you, you made me think of that. So it's like a relay race of your inner parts. Who do you lead with? And you're right. You, I read on your Facebook, you said that might possibly be the most painful hour you've had in your life. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was fun in the beginning, not so fun in the end. But it was an incredible learning experience exactly in this because when you go so much into pain, so you're literally pushing yourself to right off the edge of your physical and mental limits, you begin to see all of these different voices screaming at you, right? There's a part that's like, ah, my feet hurt and my, my legs hurt and my lungs hurt. And like, why are you doing this? You could be eating pizza right now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> There's a part of me that's like, ah, but I really want to do this. Really want to see how far I can go. And so what I've realized is that oftentimes even, you know, as you said, this is a relay, relay race, right? You can sort of set this up in advance and decide, hey, before, you know, I even go into this race, how do I want to, you know, how do what does relate to look like? Is it the playful one first and then the, the mentally tough one later? Or how do you want to, you know, inter, inter switch these things? Because that way you actually have a plan going into that race. And the other thing, if I may, I agree completely, is especially when you're cultivating a part you're not so sure about yourself, but in order to accomplish your goal, you need it. I noticed you said one of your heroes, and he's one of mine, is Win Hoff. Yes. And I know maybe not all of your listeners know who he is, and maybe you could explain better than me. But also, my guess is that superhero of yours had someone to watch. And you don't need to know your heroes. In other words, especially now, you can just watch your heroes on a YouTube video. You can read about them, read what they actually have to say or look at them. So that's a very active way to cultivate inner parts of yourself that you either are hidden or just are kind of not strong enough. And so I don't know if I'm, I, we haven't discussed this, but in my mind, I imagined you thought of him like helping you say you can do it. And we can do that even if we don't know the person personally. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, Bridget, you're so spot on. Uh, so he is one of the main guys, actually. There's a few different influences for me. Um, David Goggins being another guy, former Navy SEAL. Um, and also my dad, actually, because he is sort of the, the most stoically strong um, person that I know that, you know, will always do the things that he set out to do. Um, those are sort of the influences for me that, that helped me create this, this mentally strong and impeccable identity. 
And so I love what you're saying here about really drawing inspiration from outside examples, looking at people that you may know or that you may not have ever met, but listened to or heard of or read about and actually using their strengths and saying, hey, now I show up as this person. You know, I had a guy the other day, actually, that, um, you know, that was really struggling in one of my coaching sessions. He'd been struggling with sort of emotion, you know, creating an emotional awareness and really being in control of them. And he really admires the Dalai Lama. And he said, ah. you know, I was literally saying that to him, right? And so I was like, hey, why not channel your inner, you know, Dalai Lama next time that you're faced with this situation? And he just lit up and he looked so peaceful. And, oh. that and that's the thing. I think people are very aware of, okay, I need my inner superpower. Like uh, Beyonce has her Sasha Fierce. But what people don't understand is that not all the alter egos with the superpowers you need look like that. Sometimes you need the soft ones or the Dalai Lamas. And that's what I hope my book also brings is that it expands one's ideas of the superpowers that they need. For example, if um, that, you know, that the, the uh, steely, amazing, athletic, uh, into the pain part of you, is amazing, but that's not necessarily the best part to bring to an intimate relationship, for example. So a super hot power when it's about intimacy, and a lot of people have a lot of fearful parts related to intimacy, might be someone who dares to just be present. That can be very difficult for some people. So just the Dalai Lama made me think like, right, sometimes you might want to bring in your magical inner child so you can connect with your lover in this way that's not verbal but not necessarily adult but that is deep union and so that's not the time to bring in the guy that can run barefoot for 13 plus miles in this in the winter do you agree absolutely absolutely 100 percent. i think uh, this this idea of channeling different selves for different situations is so vital and, and really becoming aware of what is actually necessary in that situation, right? Because, yeah, like my, my girlfriend doesn't need that super charging <laughs> runner, right? She needs someone that's, you know, willing to be excited and childish and playful and connected yeah. and all of that stuff. And, and so just becoming aware of how we show up and is the version that I'm showing up as right now, is that actually effective for that situation? Yes. That's really what I'm hearing out of this today, and I absolutely 100% agree. Also, and I know we, I, we can go on, and so I, I, but I, we don't care. We're both excited. We're going to throw lots of things. The other thing I love about the final length process and learning about voice dialogue and, and then dialoguing with your different parts, you can use it as a strictly creative tool. You just made me think of that. So, for example, if you want to imagine an outcome, you can say, well, let me, um, uh, well, uh, this, uh, let me uh, dialogue as his particular self. And in my book, I have a list of questions you can ask, like, who are you? Uh, how long have you been in, like, Bridget's life? So there's lots of questions. But I have this very button-up client who has um, a, a very um, important position, but in a, what would you call it, like a corporate uh, environment. So I'll just say... It was fine. He, he wasn't like a prude or anything, but it was just a very straight-laced. That's the word I'm thinking of. Well, he often had trouble getting more to his vulnerable emotional parts, and that's what we were working on, This just like with your client. Well, he talked about in New York, there's uh, by NYU, actually, there's Washington Square Park. 
which is kind of famous. Like you can look up Washington Square Park and it's where musicians play and um, protests happen and where NYU students just have enjoy spring day. Well, he had been walking through Washington Square Park and saw this street performance artist of a different culture than he is. And, and he's a little bit older and she was quite young, young adult. She was an adult. And I think she was doing some type of conceptual art. So she was performing all outdoors and he was mesmerized by, by her. And I said, okay, well, what does she carry? Because that's the other thing. When you are mesmerized by someone just so attracted, and it wasn't sexual, it was just an attraction. It could also be something that you loathe. It's still very polarizing and you can learn a lot. So what he ended up realizing, what she represented was um, courage to just be and being exotic and, um, and just following impulses. Basically, she represented all of the aspects that he was in work with me for. We went to his street performer, internal street performer, and we, and it was wild. Now, he's, he's not a performer. He doesn't ever want to be, but what he learned by entering his own street performer, and he just sat there. He didn't have to act weird. He didn't, but he channeled this wisdom of just be in the moment. And what it ended up giving him was courage to follow his instincts. And that was the medicine, if you're going to say, this woman he randomly saw, but he saw her a few times because she'd come to Washington Square and that was on his commute route. So what he got, the medicine from her was courage to follow his own impulses. And it shifted him and his life is so much fuller and he had a full life. He was not with me because anything was wrong or he was a loser. He knew, he knew he just was not fully expressing who he was. It was beautiful. And that made me think of that. And so on some level, even if you just do it as a creative project, like I want to learn parts of me I can't imagine exist within me. Have fun with it because you're going to just be so enlightened about yourself in a way that is so empowering in very pragmatic ways you don't even imagine when you start. But then the pragmatism is like, wow, I had the courage to say I at a meeting, I disagree and I think we really need to go with an innovative technique. Well, that was like his street performer fighting for an innovative technique within his corporate situation. So you made me think of that and I hadn't, I've never shared that before. So just quite like this, but you know, I, I love this so much, and I'm, I'm really curious to hear your opinion on this. How much do you think that, that all of this is a process of uncovering versus deliberately and creatively crafting a uh, new identity in ourselves? I think it's both. And the reason, I, and depending on the person, and people are like, well, what do you just have new cells all the time? I think it's like we have brain plasticity, we have selves plasticity. I think the potential is there, but here are some ways that we have new selves come up, whether we like it or not. Developmentally, we go from toddler to middle age to teenager. Now, you can do whatever you want with your teenage era, but you're a teenager, and there are some selves that are just going to be around. So again, back to what naturally happens. When we go from toddler to student, we have to make new selves and we do it naturally. And sometimes we do it 
in a way that's painful. Like maybe we become a bad student. Maybe we are a bad student because we're just not in the right school situation for us. But either way, we naturally have student selves, even if it's I hate school. That's a student self or, oh my gosh, I love school, I can't get enough. So when we get a diagnosis, we suddenly become a member of a club we may never want to be a member of. Then we have to develop selves that maybe didn't need to exist. Maybe we were blessed with such good health, we didn't even have a, a thermometer in the house. We just didn't think about those things. Suddenly you need to have a more careful planner, perhaps, because maybe your physical condition means you get tired sooner or you need to eat a different way. So maybe you need to then cultivate somebody who learns about nutrition for real. Maybe you have this um, a, a rebel self that was always acting out, but maybe now your rebel self needs to say, okay, I, I know what uh, mainstream medicine gives. Maybe now your rebel self has to go find out what other alternative ideas are out there that can be helpful. So that, so I think it's both. And sometimes we're given cells we don't want. And, and this method really helps you also handle the grief of that. You can have your grief because it's, it's very sad. And you can also cultivate strong parts of you that are going to help you navigate in the best way possible, including maybe a self that says, I need help. A lot of us, those are hidden. We don't like to admit we have cells that need help. And sometimes situations in our life make us, so to speak. And then voice dialogue in the final eighth method helps you say, all right. I have, it's hard for me, but let me find out about the self that needs help. Maybe it wasn't safe to need help when you grew up. But now, if you don't ask for help, it's not safe because you're not going to get well. So as life shifts and you have more flexibility to shift, whether you pull out hidden cells that were there or literally you never had them and you've got to cultivate it because maybe now you have children and you didn't have the best parents who gave you the idea of good raising. Well, then the great news in today's world is go read stuff about how to be a good parent and cultivate your good parents. You're not stuck. And that's what's amazing. The, the final eighth makes you feel stuck, but in the stuckness, you can find your freedom. And it's so incredibly liberating, really. That's the word. It's transformational. Yeah, I, I, I love this so much. And I'm, I'm, Really curious, are there any sort of archetypes that you try to push people to? Like any sort of common themes that you see in your coaching clients where you're like, you well, this kind of, you know, the, the inner guidance, I guess, or the, the go-getter, like those are useful ones that you should incorporate? I love that word, should. Just so you know, I heard it. Who's the, who's the you should self? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yes, depending on the goal. So, absolutely. And um, I might... You know, I would point out, um, I love this white belt um, mentality you talked about. So absolutely. Now, like you talked about Jung, there are archetypes. I believe they are. And they're part of the universal human condition, which is like maybe the um, good or mother, father, father time, uh, Aphrodite, uh, warrior. These are all parts of the human existence. And so those are archetypes that we have. And then they operate differently in different times and in different cultures. And for example, now a lot of people are saying, well, why should I be limited to what was traditionally a, a job for a particular gender? So there's a lot of rules out there about how to 
behave energetically, which selves are allowed. And so part of the exploration is like, do I agree? Let's say I do agree. Okay, great. Then keep always lead with your polite self because you think that's, you agree. But if that means you can never uh access your disagreeing self that's not good and so let's say i was working with a client who really relied on let's do consensus but eventually consensus wasn't working anymore given the goal and so then i would i'd say well what either give up the goal because maybe like i said i'm not here to say every goal is meant to happen but then i would push them like well where's the person that believes it's true like if it, if you believe it's true then how come you have no defenders? Where's a defender of your point of view? I might, you know, so that kind of thing. So not, it, it, often I don't go into the should language if I can help it, like, well, you you should talk about oh, this. Yeah. <laughs> not to put, not to say, but, but so some people say, well, you should. First of all, I'm like, well, should you? I mean, maybe there's another way. Or, yeah, you do. You should because you need to, not because it's like the correct thing to do. But if you want this person who's um, overstepping at work, you need to put up a boundary. How can we, I would push, I would push, but in a way that I would help them empower their own boundary maker. Because often good, nice selves will say yes, and then that person won't really have um, felt their own boundary maker, whatever that is for them. So yes is my long answer. Sorry about that. No, um, but it depends on the goal. And I often ask clients, well, do you want the goal? And they're like, what? Because they expect me to do the pushing for them. I'm like, well, let, maybe you're stuck because you don't want the goal. Then I watch and see which selves defend the goal. No, it's I want to be the first one in my family to go to an Ivy League. Okay. And then I help them realize, wow, you got a lot of selves here who are for the gold. Do you still want the gold? Yes. Great. Let's figure out what needs to be cultivated or strengthened because I think it's a wonderful goal. I don't have to, it's not like, it's not whether I like a client's goal, it's how do they feel about it. And often it's a place to talk about taboo. I'm supposed to want X and I don't. And I say, let's talk about that. And there's wisdom there. And then sometimes it's just about inner permission. Like, you know what, I'm going to tell my dad, no, I don't want to go into the family business. And I love him and I hope he still loves me, but I, I can't and I don't want to. These are hard. Saying no can be hard. I forget who said it, but someone's like, you know, part of your success is what you said no to. you got to say no on your success journey. And if you don't, your success is not going to be as high. Absolutely. And I, I think this, this ability to say no to things is maybe even more important than the ability to say yes. Um, especially also when it, when it comes to goals, because so many times we have these goals that come from somewhere outside of us, culture yep. and society or family and friends that they impose upon us that we now internalize and say, well, I should be, you know, X amount of weight, right? I should have this beach body. I should go and study this. I should go and, and do this thing because that's what's expected of me. But oftentimes if you really drill down, right? And so many times people come to me and like, I just, I just can't run. And like, I, I want to be fit, but I, I just can't get myself to run. I'm like, well, do you want to run? And they're like, no. <laughs> well, then, <laughs> I hate running. There's, yeah, there's, there's, there's an obvious challenge there then, right? And so just becoming aware of this, like, like you point out so beautifully, is, is so critical because then we can we take our power back and we can shift, shift direction, right? We can say, well, if I don't like running, maybe swimming or biking or soccer, whatever it is but it gives us that power back. 
And I love that. Take your power back. That's exactly right. Yes. And, and another beautiful thing I'd love to sort of hear, hear your opinion on really is this, this idea that your goal should dictate your personality to a certain degree. Meaning if your goal, for example, is, you know, to, to get to a certain you know, outcome in business, that means that there's a certain type of person that's required to get there, right? So maybe, you know, who you want to be is, is this incredible public speaker, but you're like super shy and introverted. Well, then that personality has to shift in order for you to achieve your goals. Would you agree? So the way I would look at it is you would have your introverted shy selves and they don't have to go on stage with you. You need to cultivate your public speaking self. So then also I like ask, well, do you have the skills? No. Great. Go get them. So for example, you could go to go Toastmasters and go get some coaching and how to be a good public speaker. And so with our model of voice dialogue, you don't have to like put down your shy self, but you have to say that shy self can't be on stage. And so sometimes I'll say to a client, well, especially if it's a little like say inner child, shy self, I'm like, why don't in your mind that inner child is with his favorite babysitter eating the best candy that he loves. So you feel comfortable that that shy self is taken care of. And then you practice these new behaviors back to learning. You can't avoid practicing new behaviors and getting better and better. And so then you bring these other selves up. So you don't ask your shy self to not be shy. You never ask. You're like, I have a shy self. And that shy self might be, again, very good in intimate relationships. You know, that it can be tender and quiet. But also, then let's say you choose to do public speaking and you want to actually talk about your shy self. You could bring a little bit in it, say, you know, I'm up here today, so some of you aren't going to believe I was ever shy, but I was. And then maybe when you tell your story, you can bring up a little of that. I mean, I one of my most painful moments, and you talk about that, bringing in some of the shy self so that you're sharing like, no, you understand shyness. But then maybe when you want to say, but then I learned I can still love the shy part of me, but, but I was allowed now to be in this arena where I get to be a public speaker, which was always my dream. And guess what? I do love it. I thought I would and I do. The other thing can happen. You think you love it and you don't. Well, then you realized it. I always say then you have an educated rejection. Now you know. You tried it and you don't like it. That's much easier to let go of when you're like, no, I actually did a good job, but I realized it just wasn't me. I'd, I'd rather be behind the scenes. Great. Now you know that and you know it because you have an educated rejection. I tried it and I found out how I really feel. Wow, that's such a great way to describe this, and I love the, this idea of educated rejection. Um, I think I think in, in any era of life that that just seems so fitting, um, and it's it's become very obvious to me over the course of this discussion that um, you're very good at asking difficult questions. So, mm. what is what is the most you know difficult, the hardest, the most painful, maybe even question that you've ever asked yourself in this process? Ooh, that's a very good question. I feel my inner avoider coming up. I <laughs> say no. Um, that I asked myself. Or maybe even the client. Just something or really client. difficult. Well, some of them are... Um, um, well, what's coming to mind, so it's not... A, I, I don't know why, but I'm going to go with my instinct, is... Um, 
what I call, I, I, what I get into this in the, in the book, that there's often a lot of pressure for forgiveness. You know, a lot of people did have it rough going up. I certainly didn't have the most supportive household. So part of why I'm here today, it's like my wounds became my gifts. And so sometimes it's like, why did those early adults do the things they did that were so unhelpful to say the least and potentially cruel or, and, and having to forgive. And I realized forgiveness can be a trap. A lot of people can get on the forgiveness bandwagon, unable to do it. And I'm not against forgiveness, but I think it's they'll focus on that rather than developing themselves. And I think maybe that's one of the hardest questions is like, when are you going to let go that it happened, that it hurt, but that you can be not when are you going to let go like it's time to let go but that you know what maybe you're going to be one of those people that never forgives again allowing and so i guess that would be a hard question can you allow yourself to be a person who in a way doesn't live up to certain standards that are expected like that can you can you just let a part of yourself not forgive so that you can focus on yourself and so i talk about this i even have a an exercise i made up called the blameography and it's like, you know, like um, when you list the references in, in a paper, you just list a reference. You don't go into it, but you're like, um, mom, I blame you for this because there's such a taboo. You can't blame people. Well, if you give your blamer a chance to just say, and I, you, I blame you for this and I blame you for that, it can be so freeing. And then this is what happened to me. Paradoxically, a lot of forgiveness just happened because I let go. I think of forgiveness as truly letting go. And so that I would be hard because I, are you, was I able, I can feel my own vulnerability sharing it because I didn't want to be a person who couldn't forgive. It felt, um, I don't know, uh, less than, like I should be better than that. So all the questions are about, well, what if you're not better than X? And then the discussion and the, the parts that get involved in that discussion is always poignant. And you find out anything, maybe, yeah, you have to let yourself go or the forgiveness happens. And I do believe this, Max, and this is a little taboo, but all of us hold parts that carry painful memories. And there's this part, there's like pressure often to let go. Don't live in that's living in the past. Don't live in the past. I agree with that. But you're going to always have the part that remembers. And here's another wonderful exercise I love. So, for example, the victim part. Um, a lot of people have been victimized. I work with a lot of people that are extraordinary. You'd never guess that they had like eight or 10 years of terrible bullying in school. Like they were bullied mercilessly and you wouldn't know it. Well, that part that remembers the pain of that, they're always going to be honored. Now, that person's not going to be bullied again. They learned, but they're never going to not, they're never going to try to reject the part that holds the wounding of being a victim. Then here's my big one. What are five good things about, five good things about your victim? Like I was saying earlier, five good things about envy. Well, five good things about a victim, if we do this together, one for me is you recognize a potential perpetrator sooner. If you've completely disowned your victim, then often you're victimized because you don't have a victim will say, your inner victim will say, oh, no, you know, say no to that or, or just turn the corner. You want to have access to that because the paradox is then you won't be a victim, but you got to have 
the ability to be tenderly with the part of you that was victimized because it was not because you're weak or a loser or going to be a victim the rest of your life but you get a lot of pressure as if that's true it's not true i have found in my work the people get stronger when they're like yeah i love that little part of me yeah i'm going to protect that part of me i'm going to let the wisdom of that part be really close and then I'm going to have that as one of my secret little radars that pick up stuff and help me navigate really well. Wow, You know, I, I love this process so much. Or, or sometimes, yeah, even going back in the past and deliberately, you know, re, you know, ch really changing the whole narrative, right? It's, it's yes. really learning to, to go away just from the painful memories and, and really ask yourself, how can it serve me now? That's really what yes. I how can I take this forward? So it's not in you know wallowing in the pain in the past and getting angry about it, but really asking ourselves, how can I take this forward? And how can this you know past experience actually be useful for me in the future? And and I think that is such a powerful key for anyone that's you know listening to this that may have trauma or pain in the past. Um, that's really and powerful. it was real. Yes. And you're making me think of another thing about that. The other thing is often what you find out in this exploration, let's, that you say, let's say you, you realize that you, you, you call your inner victim stupid. And then you realize, wait a minute. No, that's just what my family called my inner victim. My inner victim was really smart and carried and actually was strong enough, like you said, has gifts to give because they survived. And so then you realize, oh, I don't have to label myself in this negative way. That also happens. And then you get free of that. That's like, no, that's the part of me that ultimately was so strong that lived through those eight years on the playground being bullied and now has all these gifts. That's not a stupid part. And that can be freeing. You realize the opinions you have about your own parts might not be true. And that's, have you heard of um, Byron Katie? Oh, yes, yes. That's one of her great questions. Is it true? And I, I'll, that's another question. Like, so a self will say, you know, something. I'm like, is it true? Not like I'm trying to trip you up, but like, is it true? Let's see. Is it true your victim was stupid? Probably not. And then that's also freeing and that helps you get to the gifts because you realize I'm not putting down my parts. That's ridiculous. They did the best they could with what they had. And I love myself for that. Yeah, the, the beautiful thing is that oftentimes it's really this pain that we experience that then drives us to become better and stronger, right? It's yes. only because you, you experience this pain of being bullied. And, and I actually had that as a child, right? That later on, uh -huh. then you become, you just build so much more compassion and, and, and really you deliberately build these positive parts and loving parts and kind parts and all of that stuff. And so it really becomes this process of turning pain into, into something beautiful, actually, that yes. you can honor later on. Absolutely. And that goes back to the um to the like the pro and the con, the double bind or the um tug of war. So all those selves very much rate may have felt less than, like have a core negative belief. And so they're like, oh, I'm gonna prove I'm not less than. And so then you get seven eighths of the way there because you do amazing things. And sometimes you have to go through the final eighth process because you so believe underneath all that you believe you're less than but then once you triumph it makes your core negative belief false and you don't know how to handle that it's called cognitive dissonance as you probably know and some people the discomfort from going from being a contender to being a victor is so big they'll stay being a contender and so you're exactly right but then being a victor 
transforms like, wow, I, I don't even need to fight against it anymore. I know I'm good enough. I could be bad at math because I'm not as good as my friend who is excellent at it, but that doesn't mean I'm bad as a person. Then, you know, what this reminds me of is really just this idea that oftentimes we actually fight for our limitations. I mean, we, oh, we yes. hold on so strongly to old evidence, quote unquote, for yes. why we're not good enough, you know, strong enough, brave enough, smart enough, good looking enough, whatever it is, that like we, we're willing to stay in a limited reality just to prove to ourselves that that's the truth. And, and this process uh, of overcoming that, yeah. Yeah. I call that the distorted loyalties, and that's in the book too. By you staying stuck and in your not good enough story and defending it, who are you loyal to? And often it really is. It's like there's often survivor's guilt. Like if I outdo my parents, I'll feel bad. And you're right. You get to free yourself because the other way, if you, it's language, as you know, is so important. So if you can't, instead of saying, well, I'm just, I keep, I'm, I'm defending this stuck story and I'm probably stupid to be defending this stuck story. If you say, well, all right, but let's say it's an act of love. Let's say it's distorted loyalty. You're defending this story. Let's see what's, who are you loyal to? That doesn't even want your loyalty and it's just in here and we can unravel it. So now your loyalty can be to your fullness of you. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. Bridget, we talked about so much I good know. stuff today. Uh, there's just so many practical ideas that our listeners can take away from this. If you could give our listeners just one challenge or one action step to take away and start practicing today, what would be the one thing? Start writing your down yourselves and noticing them. And then start in the process noticing what selves do I think I don't have, would never have, would never be able to have, like you admire them so much and write down that list and find those parts within you. So if you say, well, I could never be like Oprah or Win Hoff, write down inner Oprah, inner Win Hoff. So challenge yourself basically to see where you're defending your old stories and just maintaining your loyalty to your current set of inner selves. And is your superhero really shaped like Superman or is your superhero has to be more like um, your quiet Buddha? So that's what I would say. Challenge yourself to see what's really there within you and how it operates externally. Love that. Now, before I ask my final question, where can listeners connect with you online? So I'm thefinalaith.com and I'm on social media everywhere. And then I offer two free things every month. One is an Instagram live uh, every eighth of the month at 8 p.m. Eastern. And then the third Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, like I said, where we do live voice dialogue. So come and you can come more than once. So you really see it. And you can get my book, The Final Eighth, Enlist Your Inner Selves to Accomplish Your Goals. And then that book has the whole process. The reason I wrote the book was to guide people through this process of learning which selves you're embracing now and, and then how to cultivate new ones. So those are the big ways. Also, we're going to have a master class in the final eighth in May for those that want to join. But I'm around. I love to hear from people. Uh, so those are the ways. Perfect. Now, what does it mean for you to max out your life? <sighs> Honestly, to be with people like you, Max, 
I just, I never would have dreamed that I could be talking about this extraordinary, empowering technique and then learning from you. I guess like that I'm sharing my wisdom, but I learned so much and then I get to give back because I've learned so much today and the idea of the white belt mentality. So that's, I just, I guess the, the, the fruitful give and take where it's so much bigger than both of us. I just, that is a dream come true that I'm living. I'm living this dream come true. You know, I, I love that. I appreciate it so much. I can, I can really honestly say that your energy is just absolutely incredible. I love this conversation and really thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I had so much fun too. All oh, of yeah. me did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you gained some valuable ideas, tips, tools, tricks, mindsets, belief systems that will hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about application. The only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained. And so I really want to challenge you at this point to you know, not just listen to this passively, to not just consume this you know, passively, just thinking about other things, but to really take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life. So really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now guys, at this point, I wanna ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review, as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, friend, a loved one maybe, that you think could benefit from this content, please consider you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them, as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.